So I'm a scientist. And I'm not, but I'm curious about science. She asks a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. And it's always fun for me to explain complex science in understandable ways. So So we we made made a podcast. podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to So I Married a Scientist. I'm Corey. And I'm Mel. All right, Mel, what do you have for us this week? I would like to talk about mosquitoes. Mosquitoes? Well, yeah. What about mosquitoes? So we've had the first frost, most of us, and that means the mosquitoes go away, I think. Yep. They seem to have gone away. When we were visiting family up in New England a month or two ago, they were extremely concerned about Triple E, which is a, is it a new? No, it's been around for a while. It's been around for a while. It was first discovered in the 1830s. Oh, okay. In Massachusetts. So you just knew that one off the top of your head. Yeah. You've been doing your research. Always. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it's a very scary thing, Triple E. So I, I wanted to talk about mosquitoes because they're finally gone. And I feel like while they were with us, I just didn't even want to talk about them. I'm like, they take enough of my time and energy in life without talking about them and giving them more power. So now that they're gone, yep. I feel comfortable okay. dredging up this conversation. I am very angry at mosquitoes. They seem to do a lot of bad stuff in the world and make a lot of people's lives miserable, if not very dangerous. They do carry a lot of diseases. Why do we still have to deal with these things in the 21st century? Well, uh, they are important components of the food chain. So from an ecological standpoint, just eradicating all mosquitoes would be pretty devastating. Well, okay. What eats them then? Bats. Bats? Other insects, birds, a lot of things in the wild. How do we get those things in the wild to eat all the mosquitoes? Well, again, then you have a less abundant food source for those predators. So if you just take out mosquitoes without replacing it with anything, it's going to be pretty damaging to the ecosystem. How do we get mosquitoes to stop biting us? Can we just make them so that they don't vampire us all the time? I just hate them so much. Yeah, they're kind of annoying. I agree. They're not just annoying. They're just they, are, they do so much damage in the world. I'm not advocating killing living creatures, but listen, if you're going to kill a living creature... Make sure it's a mosquito, is that what you're saying? <laughs> wow, okay. They are vampire bugs. That's what yes, they are. Yes, they do drink blood, and they need the blood to lay their eggs. So Ugh. they can persist on just nectar and other sugar sources. They don't need to have blood to live. They just need blood to lay eggs. Wait a second. You said nectar. Are they pollinators? They're not one of the main pollinators, but they might do some pollination. Okay. So they need the blood to lay their eggs? Correct. Female mosquitoes need our blood and other animals' blood. It's not just human blood, but they need a protein from blood in order to lay eggs. Yeah, so only the female mosquitoes bite. Male mosquitoes don't bite. That's not fair. Yeah. So <laughs> blame the women. No, no, they're not <laughs> women. They're female mosquitoes, All right. not, not human women. So you're telling me that mosquitoes drink my blood. Yep. And then those mosquitoes, which happen to be female, 
go somewhere and lay their eggs, yep. where do they go? Well, they typically lay them in wet areas. Okay, well, that tracks. Yeah. So if you're by a swamp or something with stagnant water. Why do they like stagnant water? More? Well, because if it's like a river, then it's just going to wash all the eggs downstream. Uh, okay. They want the eggs to stay there. Yep. Why do they want them to stay in there? Do they want them to, to like tend the eggs? Do they do they take care no. of them? No, they, they just want them to hatch. They just want, okay. So So the eggs need a protein from my blood to be viable? Well, yeah. So the normal food source for mosquitoes is plant nectar, and that doesn't have a lot of protein in it. It's mostly just sugar. So you don't have enough protein to make the eggs and then lay them. So without the blood meal, they can't lay eggs that are viable. Could you please not say the word blood meal again? Okay, but that's what it's called. (laughs) That's the real term? Yes, that's the scientific term for it. No! Oh, I hate it A female mosquito has to have a blood meal in order to... You promised me! (laughs) Lay her eggs. Okay, so here's my question. Why can't mosquitoes be polite about it? If you have to take my blood, why do you have to make this big, red, bumpy, itch, scratchy, itchy spot that drives me nuts for a couple of days? Okay, well, bad news for you is that that's not the mosquito's fault. That's your immune system overreacting to the mosquito saliva. Oh, is that why some people get bit by mosquitoes and, like, don't feel it much? Some people react much more strongly to mosquito bites than others. So if you have a strong allergic response to it, you will get these huge red bumps, and other people can get bit by them, and they're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Is there anything wrong with your immune system if it does or doesn't react to a mosquito Not bite? wrong, but... It's just like an, al- an it's allergy a, or It's an allergic response, yeah. So basically what happens is the mosquito needs to drink your blood, and if it sticks its proboscis into you oh. without the saliva then it coagulates the blood and it can't get very much blood. So the saliva has anticoagulant proteins in it that prevent your blood from clotting. And that allows the mosquito to extract enough blood to get enough protein so it can lay its eggs. That's real gross, but it seems like it has some research potential. Well... Anticoagulants, like don't people need like blood thinners and things like that if they have heart problems? Yeah, but we have some pretty prominent chemical anticoagulants. All right, so like I was trying to see the bright side Coumadin of mosquitoes. And, okay. I was trying to I was trying to give them a break like hey, maybe you guys could actually help us, but no. No. But yeah, just it's jerks. the it's the reaction of your immune system to that saliva that tends to generate the majority of the itch. Is there anything that I can do to my immune system to say, "Hey, listen, these guys are annoying, but it, it's not going to kill you, so you need to calm down." Well, that's where treatment with antihistamine and cortisone cream can help you a little bit because it'll tell your immune system to relax. That stuff did help me get through the summer. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So why do some people get bitten more than others? Is that, I've heard it, all kinds of different stuff. Like so there's an actual scientific basis can for I guess? why some people get bit more than others. Can I tell you all the things that I've heard? Yeah, let's hear it. Um, first of all, they bite women more than men. Is that true? They bite pregnant women more than other people. Whoa, okay. Hmm, unraveling the mystery. 
Uh, do they bite people who have sweeter blood? I've heard that if you have more blood sugar, then they, they like you more. Tend to prefer people with type O blood. I was just, and then that's the third thing I've heard that that is your blood type. So they really are like vampires, and they're like they have like favorite types of blood. Sort of, there are underlying chemical components that matter. So if you tend to have more carbon dioxide around you. They're attracted to the carbon dioxide. So if you're breathing heavily outside, then <laughs> you are going to be targeted. No heavy breathing if, outside, people. That rules out a lot of things. Well, um, if you have <laughs> lactic acid in your blood, it tends to attract mosquitoes. So if you're doing any exercising outside during like dawn and dusk when mosquitoes are active, you're asking for it. So, so that's like the mosquitoes are like, oh, that person's working out. They must be tasty. Well... They need to be able to figure out where their blood sources are. And since all animals that have blood expire CO2, that's one of the ways that they can figure out where to go to get their blood. And can they smell lactic acid? Yeah, I don't know exactly how it attracts them, but it's definitely the case where research has shown that if you're type O or you have a lot of lactic acid in your blood, you're more prone to getting targeted by mosquitoes basically the higher your metabolic activity the more mosquitoes are going to like you why because whatever they're doing to sense you is stronger (laughs) (laughs) you're much more visible to them type o blood what's with type o unclear we don't know at least i don't know so why do they come out at dawn and dusk well it tends to be when it's not as hot and not as windy because mm, they're so little and they're they get little, blown they around. They get blown around. Yeah. So it's actually interesting. So you mentioned dawn and dusk. Some people think that if they wear dark colors, they're going to be less visible to mosquitoes. It's actually the other way around. They oh. tend to prefer being around dark clothing because it makes them feel like they're closer to shelter. And if you have really bright clothing on, you tend to be a little bit more protected. I had no idea that that was even a thing that you could repel mosquitoes with your clothing, like your fashion choices. Yeah. So if you like exercising outside at dawn or dusk, try wearing brighter colors like highlighter, yellow or something. And obviously try out some insect repellents to protect you. (laughs) You probably have a better bet with insect repellent. Hey, everything helps. Mosquitoes (laughs) are terrible. So do they have eyes? Can they see the colors? I mean, I don't know what their vision looks like. I'm sure they have some sort of eyesight. But yeah, they're sensing chemical gradients and they're... What's a chemical gradient? Like a scent trail, but for chemicals. So if they can sense CO2, they know, hey, there's more CO2 over here than there is over there. I'm going to go toward the CO2. Can they sense my fear? Because I feel like fear would leave a chemical gradient. I don't know that there's any scientific basis for that. Okay. So let's talk about the global impact of these things because we have it pretty good here. As annoying as mosquitoes are, we don't have to worry generally about mosquito-borne diseases except for things like triple E. And West Nile virus. And West Nile. Oh, we do have to worry about it. Oh. A little bit. Yeah. But yeah, not nearly to the extent of like sub-Saharan Africa and South America and... India, South right, Asia. Other yeah. areas where you have malaria and dengue and yellow fever, chikagunya. How do those diseases get so widespread and out of control? It just Well, it's just the 
range of those species of mosquitoes. So one of the interesting things about mosquito-borne diseases is it's only a very small number of species that are actually the vectors for these diseases. When you say vector, what does that mean? In the this host, uh, the intermediate host. So mosquitoes aren't made ill by these viruses or plasmodia. They're just kind of carrying them around and transferring them from animal to animal or human to human. And yeah, so they're the, the carriers. What's a plasmodia? It's a unicellular eukaryote. So it's closer to like yeast than to viruses, but it's an obligate parasite, so it can't replicate without a host. It acts like a virus, but it's actually a eukaryotic organism. So the mosquitoes carry tiny little organisms with them. So not just viruses and bacteria, but actually like little tiny. Yeah, so the cause of malaria is a plasmodium. That's a cellular organism, but it can only replicate in a host. So like how how do mosquitoes spread these to each other? How do how do they, how does a mosquito get the plasmodium? Yeah, so the mosquito picks it up from blood of someone who's infected, and then will deposit, will carry that around, and then the next time they go to bite someone else, then they can uh, give it to those new people. It's just awful, especially in places where people don't have like shelter or like even something as simple as having a screen on your window like those are things that we take for granted here and we don't even need them as much as people around the world need them right so how does malaria get contained then how does like let's just take one disease like malaria how do you contain malaria after you have an outbreak of well again it's all driven by the mosquitoes so there's a kind of baseline amount uh, that you're gonna have to deal with each year And some of them are up to like 500 million cases a year of malaria. Oh my gosh, that's so many people. Yeah, it depends. And Um, it can be life-threatening, right? Oh yeah. Serious. There are definitely fatalities caused by malaria and other mosquito-borne diseases. Do we have a a vaccination or an antidote for malaria? Is there a cure for it? Well, it's not a virus, so there's not a vaccine for it. But there are some chemical prophylaxis and treatments that you can take to try to minimize your chance of getting malaria or to treat the symptoms of malaria afterwards. I know people here who have good health care, they, when they're going to travel internationally to a place that has malaria, they can go to their doctor and say, I'm going to this country. Can you please give me something for this? Right. And that they put you on like a course of treatment before you go. Yeah. So they would start you, you know, up to a week before you leave. And then you would come back and continue taking that prophylactic treatment up to, you know, a couple weeks after you're back. And what does that treatment actually do? Um, So it does a couple of different things, but mostly it's trying to prevent the life cycle of the plasmodium once it's in your blood. Okay. So it just kind of teaches your body how to like not let this thing replicate? I mean, it's not doing anything with the immune system. It's a chemical prophylactic. Oh, okay. So it's not training your immune system like a vaccine would. It's just disrupting the life cycle of the plasmodium once it's in your blood. That's amazing that we can do that. So how come we can't get this treatment to like developing countries? Is it just expensive to produce? Like what is the... Yeah, I mean, there are a number of treatments that can be distributed, but a lot of them are pretty expensive. Yeah. Man, I mean, that's that's the hope, right? That science could progress in such a way that makes this affordable for everybody. Yeah. 
um, if they can't figure out a way to just completely create a way to inoculate us against it. So I heard this thing once that malaria can be like related to other conditions or other diseases or like cause other diseases. Is that true? Well, you may be thinking about the link between malaria and sickle cell anemia. One of the interesting things about the sub-Saharan African continent is there seems to be a higher incidence of sickle cell anemia in the population. Can you remind me what exactly that is? So sickle cell anemia is a distinct mutation in your red blood cells that caused them to go from a round shape to a sickle shape. So they look like a half moon or like a quarter moon. Okay. They don't have the structural integrity to stay round. Huh. And because the plasmodium in malaria likes to target red blood cells, that's one of the things that's related. If you are a heterozygote for sickle cell trait, which means you have one wild type allele and one mutant allele, so you're half and half, then you are protected from malaria. So what that means is when the plasmodium gets into your blood after you get bitten by a mosquito, it tries to get into your red blood cells. And when that happens, the red blood cell, when the plasmodium acts on it, gets forced into that sickle cell shape. So normally, when you're heterozygote, you can maintain your round red blood cells. But when the plasmodium tries to enter, it forces the conformation change to a sickle cell. And that's something that your immune system can recognize. And the macrophages in your blood clear out those sickled red blood cells so you can never make more of the plasmodium. So it basically Whoa. stops the whole process. Whoa. But, if but could it ever like wake up sickle cell anemia? Like if you... Well, it forces that confirmation change. But if what you're... does that mean, a confirmation change? So the transition from the normal round red blood cell to the sickle-shaped red blood cell that gets cleared. So is there any possibilities with inoculating other people against malaria from this sickle cell... Well, you don't want this to be the primary method for protection against malaria because if two heterozygotes have a child, then there's a 25% chance that they will have the full sickle cell anemia, which isn't good. So what's the difference between malaria and other types of things? There's so many things that mosquitoes can carry. Well, the biggest one is the driver. So plasmodium is not a virus so its life cycle once it's in your body is different than things like dengue and zika and west nile chikagunya and yellow fever those are all virus based diseases even triple e is a virus so so these are all things that just get passed one from another and where do these viruses come from there are many different mosquito species in the world i think The last number I saw was something like 3,500, but only a very small subset of those species actually contribute to mosquito-borne diseases. The malaria genus, so if you remember Kingdom Phylum class order family genus species, so a genus is a very small group of distinct but related species, and so the only contributors of malaria, so the only carriers of that plasmodium, are from the Anopheles mosquito 
genus. So why? what's special about the Anopheles? Like, why do they carry this? They just happen to be the species that has been targeted by the plasmodium. And they're in the region that's endemic for malaria. So another very common genus is the Ides mosquito. And that is contributing to things like dengue and Zika and chikungunya. What are those exactly? They're vi- are yellow they like, fever. They're all viruses. Are they like the flu? Like what are they? They're just something that comes in and attacks your immune system. Yeah, they're not the flu. Um, they're viral diseases that sh- all show things like rash and very high fever. And in the case of like chikungunya, very painful infections that usually eventually clear, but you know they're not pleasant to have for sure. And what is triple E exactly? Because we have that up in New England. Yeah, so triple E is completely different. So triple E is a different type of virus, and it's actually not something that humans typically get. Hmm. It is typically passed from bird species to bird species by a type of mosquito that doesn't typically bite humans. So... The main vector for triple E is something that doesn't typically go after humans. But there are these bridge vectors, so there are secondary types of mosquitoes that can pass it from birds to humans. But the rate of that interaction is so low because those types of mosquitoes don't typically bite birds or humans. Oh. So it's a very rare event, oh, which is goodness. why the annual rates are so low. So we don't have to worry about this becoming like the next huge pandemic, Tripoli. Well, so yeah. So you don't catch it from like other humans and you don't catch it from like horses. That's one of the common myths about it. And because the mosquitoes that pass it to humans don't typically bite birds very frequently, or if they do bite birds very frequently, they don't bite humans very frequently, then the crossover's not that high. However, the symptoms of infection of Tripoli are very severe, yeah, which is why the... the fatality rate is about a third of cases. Oh my God. Which is very significant compared to other mosquito-borne diseases. Yeah, that's scary. Is it, doesn't Tripoli stand for equine something? It's th- Eastern Equine Encephalitis. Oh, I can see why people think you get it from horses. Well, yeah, so horses can get it too. And the reason why it's called equine encephalitis is because it was first discovered in horses. Okay. Now, there's a vaccine for horses. There's not a vaccine for humans. Why not? Uh, probably because the number of people who get it isn't very high. Isn't, is that true that diseases that are much more rare are much less likely to get treatments and stuff developed because... yeah. R&D costs are very high, and you have to actually have a market. Yeah, so there are definitely things like orphan diseases and rare diseases that get specialty funding. What What's um, an orphan and a rare disease? Those are ones that have a low patient population, but still get kind of highlighted as need areas. What is, what's the difference between orphan and rare? I think it's a designation in the FDA approval process. Oh. So Tripoli would be considered a rare disease? Yeah, it's definitely a very rare disease because typically you only get a handful of cases a year. Yeah. You know, this past season was very high. Why was it higher than normal? What what makes it, the numbers go up? Yeah, it's possible that 
just the way the season happened, there were more of those mosquitoes that can cross between birds and humans. And, you know, there were a lot of mosquitoes found with it this particular year. Does that have anything to do with climate change, do you think? Climate change can definitely contribute to the expansion of ranges of these species of mosquitoes that carry these viruses in Plasmodia. So a range like a geographic range? Yeah, so okay. their ability to live in certain environments. So right now, you know, these hotbeds are sub-Saharan Africa, South America, up through some areas of Central America, the Indian subcontinent, and those types of areas. But as climate change happens, you can think that there might be an expansion of these species ranges in the future, which would contribute to how many people are living in areas that are affected by these. So right now, about half of the world's population lives in areas that malaria is endemic to. Hot and humid, basically. Right. Or more, more precipitation. Yep. Yeah. So what can we do about this? What? <laughs> yeah. So What's going on in the world of R&D that would give us, make a, give us some hope? Right. So in addition to trying to develop things like vaccines, um, you'll notice that whenever there's a high rate of these situations, um, like in the case of the triple E outbreak this summer, they were spraying for mosquitoes. Like the, like spraying like... Insecticides. No, but like spraying what? Like people's homes? Insecticides. I know, but like <laughs> spraying like what area? Like people's houses? Like Well, areas where the mosquitoes are going to be most active and around people. Like they can spray the whole area? Mm-hmm. Like so, just how do they do that? So they take trucks and they spray it from the trucks and or airplanes if it's really bad. That does not sound they blanket very it. safe. Well, yeah. So they're using, they're only spraying at night. So they're spraying when people aren't around. And they're spraying insecticides that don't tend to impact people at all, but they are impacting other insects. So okay. the concern is that, you know, it could impact other things like pollinators and bees and those types of oh, things. Sad. But yeah. the reason why they do it at night is so that it decreases or it minimizes the impact on those other species. So like most sleeping. of the most of the bees are not around at night. Yeah. And, you know, the half life for those compounds that they're using in those spraying applications are very short so they break down very quickly so they like they they like disintegrate or they like yeah. break apart okay so, so you wouldn't we, sh we don't have a cause to for concern you think well as i mean a scientist? compared to having people get triple e it's not as bad on the human side but the ecological side is pretty significant the reason why we don't do this every summer <laughs> is because it's not great for the environment yeah, yeah. okay so we can maybe spray. We can maybe develop some inoculations or vaccinations. Yeah. Those are what typically about used GMO for emergency. mosquitoes? Yeah. Is so that a thing? It is a thing. Really? It's probably among the most ethically debated parts of the scientific community right now because there is technology out there that could basically fix all of the mosquito-borne diseases. What? But the environmental impact is completely unknown. Like this is the Whoa. ultimate Pandora's box situation. Wow. And the ethical portion of the debate is very strong. So this would involve taking mosquitoes, genetically modifying them by editing their DNA so that they cannot be carriers of these diseases. So the, the species of mosquitoes that carry these specific viruses and plasmodium would be made infertile. Whoa. 
but like you said at the beginning of the episode, like a lot of other animals rely on mosquitoes as food sources, right? Right. So but this there are so many chain. right. But there are so many other species of mosquitoes that don't carry viruses in these large numbers, and those would theoretically take over those what ranges. Whoa! What? Okay, so what? Are the, what is the species of mosquito that's the problem? So for malaria, it's the Anopheles mosquito. Anopheles. And for a lot of the viral mosquito-borne diseases, it's the Aedes mosquito. So they would genetically modify them to to transmit a gene. Like, how would you, how would you transmit that gene or that whatever bacteria that's going to kill, like, make those mosquitoes infertile? Yeah. So this is called a gene drive. So basically, you modify the mosquito to have a copy of one of the essential genes for reproduction in a mutated state. And then you also have a way to, once that's transmitted, copy it to the other chromosome. So that instead of having 50% of your offspring receive the allele, you have 100% of the offspring receive the allele. Okay, so I understand that part, but how do you take a mosquito that's genetically modified in a lab yep. that becomes infertile? How do you get them to impact all the other mosquitoes? Like how do, how do you actually wipe out an entire mosquito species? You modify them and then you release them. But then what? Then they mate with the wild type mosquitoes and that genetic mutation goes through the population and makes them all infertile. So it would take a while for that to happen. Not with the way the gene drive works. What? In normal genetics, it would take forever, and it would likely be selected out of the population. However, if you have a gene drive that once you pass it to somebody, it automatically copies to the other allele, you can't engineer it out. Man, the ethics of this, though. I mean, like, yeah, yes. Pandora's box. Pandora's box, but also you could save millions of lives. Right. That is a crazy, it's not even a thought experiment. This is like a real life thing that researchers face. Yes. Do we or do we not? This technology is very well characterized at this point in what terms of mean? how well it works. Like it's been working in the labs for a while now in terms of how well it can, you know, take these subpopulations of mosquitoes and render them not a problem. That is just bonkers. Right. Yeah. But also, once we, you know, release it, we can't get it back. We can't get it back. Like, it's not something that we would be able to put back in the box. It's like squeezing out the toothpaste and trying to put it back in the tube. Right. Dunzo. So, they've been deployed in the lab. They've never been deployed in the field. And obviously, like, from a biosafety standpoint, biosecurity standpoint, the people who do this research are very tightly regulated because one mosquito getting out of their lab could impact, you know, a lot of ecological problems. So most of these labs are set up in places where those mosquitoes aren't endemic, so they aren't native to that oh, yeah. space, so that even if, if they, they got out, they would die. But They're yeah, very there small, are a lot they could hide in your clothes. Right. <laughs> so there are a lot of different kind of you know, implications that, you know, the scientific community is actively grappling with for all of this technology. Wow. Wow. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. I mean, because you could consider, you know, all of the in insect borne diseases, you know, all of the pests that are hitting, you know, like chestnut trees, you know, controlling invasive species that get into populations. That would be a way to Can't control those. Can't we just those. like basically like 
off switch. The, the like anytime we have a pest that is causing a problem, just hit an off switch. Yep. I can see the appeal. I I don't think it's a good idea, but I can see yeah. why. So it would this be is the debate because you know I've been to talks where these researchers have you know given their side of the story, and it's very fascinating to to see the potential benefits versus the potential consequences. Oh, it's it's one of those huge like risk reward scenarios. Yeah, that's just fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. Is there anything else you want people to know about mosquitoes? You nasty little buggers. Well, if you don't like mosquitoes, stay inside at dawn and dusk. <laughs> Use your insect repellent. Wear neon. Wear neon colors. Don't exercise outside. <laughs> oh, there's so many rules. Yeah. It's yeah. There's a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately for you typo folks, you can't change your blood type. Sorry. Ugh, yeah. Well, one other thing that you could consider, now that you know all about mosquitoes and how dangerous they are, Consider donating to a nonprofit or a charity that provides mosquito nets for people in developing countries. You have no idea how much of a difference like a $20 mosquito net could make in someone's life, especially for young kids. Mosquito nets are really important. It, it, the holidays are coming up. It could be a really cool thing, a really cool gift idea to buy mosquito nets in the honor of someone instead of giving them a physical gift saying, hey, you know, I, I, we're, we're saving lives here with these mosquito nets. So consider there's, there's tons of organizations out there. Consider that as a gift idea this year. It's an awesome, awesome thing you can do for somebody. Absolutely. All right. Well, we hope you enjoy learning about mosquitoes uh, as much as you, one can enjoy it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and share your mosquito facts or your stories or any other further questions you have, please email us at soemeritascientists at gmail.com. You can also get in touch with us through our website, soemeritascientists.com, or on social media. And we really appreciate if you can rate, review, and, and subscribe to the show. Uh, it really helps us keep going with this. It's a lot of work to do this podcast, but it helps us keep going when we know people are listening and enjoying our work. Yeah. Hope you all have a great day and avoid being a blood meal. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, what do you said? Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Music by Lemonfest. Logo and marketing by Cambridge Creative Group. Edited and produced by Corey and Mel. See you next time. <laughs>